Hey guys, it's Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. It's Bowl Week. Thanks so much for downloading this week's radio show. We put it onto the podcast. And if you want a free Heartland College Sports koozie to keep that beer cold, which I know you all want to do, please do rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and then send me a screenshot of that rating to Pete Mundo at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. That's Pete, M-U-N-D-O, at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Send me a screenshot of the review, and we'll get you that koozie in the mail, all right? Thanks so much for um, downloading the show, and we'll talk to you soon. Third and goal at the three, and Iowa State moved at the snap. Skyler Thompson to the goal line, touchdown. He's at the Baylor 35, the 30, the 25, the 20. It's a foot race to the 10, to the 5, into the end zone. He goes again. David Sills with a 53-yard touchdown reception. We're going all night long, everybody And the Cyclones win it. They have knocked off the number four TCU Hard Frogs. This is not some mirage. When the sun just kept trying to catch him, and he just kept running away from him. It's 81 yards from McCluskey on the grab. Locked it down the middle for Rodney. It's caught at the 10, to the 5, into the end zone. It's a touchdown! Well, we're getting into the heart of bowl season. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas to many of you. It is uh, New Year's, and it is great to be with you here as we get it rolling on Heartland College Sports Weekly. I'm Pete Mundo, owner of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Thanks so much for joining us. How you get this show, whether it's on the radio, whether it's the podcast, uh, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, whatever it might be, we appreciate you joining us because uh, we've had a great 2018 and it's because of you, you sharing us, you being a part of the show. So thank you so much. Um, it is my favorite time of year, not just because of the holidays, but because of bowl season. And now, if you're a college football fan, you got to be excited because you have a reason to follow recruiting before Christmas. You know, it used to be that you pick up on recruiting. You're a diehard recruiting guy, right? You'd really get into the recruiting scene Eh, probably after the national championship, right? You were kind of salivating for some type of college football, so it was like, all right, let's get our uh, let's get our feet wet here and figure out what's going on on the recruiting trail. Well, now because of the early signing period, you have to start doing that right after the conference championship games, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I want to talk about something on the big picture side. We'll get to uh, the recruiting classes in the Big Twelve, the rankings, who did well, who's not doing so well. We'll get to all that. But I want to start with a bigger picture thing here, which is something that Mike Gundy said last week after signing day. Uh, Mike Gundy was talking about the fact that, and it's well documented that Mike Gundy does not get top 15, top 20, top 25 classes, even though I think he should be. It's very clear to me that with the success Mike Gundy has had, he had three straight 10-win seasons. He's less than 10 years removed from uh, coming within what? Uh, in overtime against Iowa State of playing for a national championship, Oklahoma State should be recruiting at a higher level than it is. I know that people are going to say, the defenders are going to sit there and they're going to say, uh, Gundy knows how to win, he gets it done. I agree with all that. 
But let's be honest, to get to that next level, you got to have a top 10, top 15 class. And with the facilities in Stillwater, with that offense, um, with Stillwater itself, which is a great college town, the proximity to a talent-rich state like Texas, you're what, four hours from Dallas-Fort Worth? They should be recruiting better. I'm sorry. They should be. But this isn't about Gundy. I don't want to go down that path right now. This is about something that he said. Mike Gundy came out, and he said after signing day, quote, we go after every eight-star, six-star, four-star, and every star in the world we can get around here, and they all go to other schools at this point. So we go get whatever else is out there. Um, And that was kind of a weird comment. Obviously, we know there are no eight-stars But his point was, we go after the top guys, they don't want to come here. He goes on to say, quote, try to find the very best one that fits the system. We kind of work our way from here out, and we usually end up on the east or west coast somewhere. There's a number of guys in this area that we tried to get in on, and they didn't have any interest in us. So we just go to the next guy. All right, so think about a... Brandon Whedon, you know, he stepped in with Brandon Whedon. Guy was coming off a minor league baseball career, failed at that, was looking to go to college somewhere, and Mike Gundy, listen, that's a lot of luck, okay? It's a little bit like Tom Brady with the Patriots, a lot of luck there. Uh, But look at Mason Rudolph, South Carolina kid, right? So he says we end up going to the East Coast or the West Coast. The fact that Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, with the success that he's had, I mean, this is not less miles at Kansas. The fact that Mike Gundy cannot get a legit four-star quarterback in Texas or Oklahoma, most notably, let's say Texas, because there's a lot more of them down there, to come to Oklahoma State is mind-boggling to me. Gary Patterson with TCU has been in the Big 12 for a hot minute, and he's getting guys like Sean Robinson, four-star, who's now, of course, transferring. He's getting guys like Justin Rogers, uh, who is a a four or a five-star, four-star, I believe it was, He's getting them. Uh, and Gary Patterson is not a system that's known for its offense. I know it got better under Sonny Cumbie. I know it's improved um, when Cumbie and Meacham teamed up, and now it's just Cumbies. But still, it's peanuts compared to what Mike Gundy's done offensively over the past decade in Stillwater. And he can't get a four-star quarterback to come to Stillwater. That makes no sense, and it's a defeatist attitude. But let's look at the big picture here. Because time and time again now, we're seeing this where former five-star quarterbacks are potentially considering making a run somewhere else. You see it now with, uh, with Georgia's Justin Fields, right? I mean, he's a guy who has said, I'm looking to go somewhere else. It's not confirmed yet, uh, but it is something that he is considering. OU was apparently on a short list, although I heard OU didn't even make a phone call to the guy. Uh, Ohio State's on a short list. So Justin Fields, who was the top quarterback prospect in America in the class of 2018, um, he decided to go to Georgia. Why would he go to Georgia when Jake Fromm, who was a true freshman, just took him to the national championship game? If I'm a five-star guy and I want to play right away, and by the way, by the way, on top of that, these high school quarterbacks are more prepared than ever before, ever before, to play right away because of the high school system, how advanced they are, how much they're learning. Uh, Their strength and training in high school is so good. There's a lot of reason to believe that these young guys can go somewhere and boom, they can play. We see it every year at the college football level. So if Justin Fields is that dead set on wanting to play right away, why are you going to Georgia? 
I believe he's a Georgia kid, but still. I, you know, maybe not Georgia Tech. That's a bad example because they won the triple option. But look at a school in your area that's in driving distance that isn't entering a season with a true sophomore quarterback that just took the team to the national championship game. You're probably not going to play for at least two, probably three years, right? So too many guys are making that mistake. You know how freshman quarterbacks at Texas, Cameron Rising and Casey Thompson, are both reportedly exploring a transfer. Same thing for those guys. They were two top-tier quarterbacks, a couple of four-star guys, I believe it was. They both committed to a school with a true freshman quarterback in Sam Ellinger who had just had a very good for a true freshman with a weak offensive line and a first-year head coach at that program. Uh, they had a, he had a very good year, Sam Ellinger. And these two guys both commit to Texas. One of them, I think, is it Thompson's from Oklahoma? I mean, why isn't he looking at Oklahoma State? All right, they got Spencer Sanders, fine. Why aren't they looking at places like K-State? All right, the offense, not that good. My point is they should be looking at places that maybe aren't blue bloods, but that you can play right away. And if a program that isn't a blue blood has a player like you and you're as good as you think you are, you'll be competing at the top of the conference. The other part of this is the TV factor. This isn't 1958 where you got to go to Notre Dame, you got to go to Ohio State, Oklahoma, or Texas, or USC to be seen on TV. That's not the case anymore. You know, it's not. Time and time, any Saturday during college football season, if you want to see a mediocre Power 5 team, if you want to see Indiana, if you want to see Texas Tech, if you want to see Arizona, you can do it. And you don't need a fancy cable package. You don't need any of that. You just got to flip on the TV and you can watch it. So all these non-blue blood coaches, you know, Gary or uh, Mike Gundy has a point when he said all these top tier guys want to go somewhere else. That's true. They all want to go to the same schools. But that's the job now of those head coaches that aren't at the blue bloods. The Mike Gundys of the world. The Matt Wellses of the world. The Matt Rules of the world. The Matt Campbells of the world. That's a lot of mats in a row. <laughs> But you get the point. It's up to those guys to pitch themselves and say, you know, you can go to Alabama. You going to play? Do you want to play? And you're not trying to take away their competitive nature, but let's be realistic about it. Brock Purdy, Iowa State's quarterback, another true freshman, just had a great season. He's now the quarterback there for at least the next two years. Uh, he's, a, he's now a household name in at least the Big 12, if not the country. He had an offer from Alabama. What if Brock Purdy took that offer? You know what he's doing? He'd be lucky to see the practice squad this year. Instead, how many reps did he get? How many hundreds of reps did he get being the starting quarterback for an Iowa State Cyclones team that uh, won a lot of big games, that is going to the Alamo Bowl, and now he's going into his true sophomore season as the starting quarterback at a very good Power 5 program that is on national television every single weekend. All right, you don't get the same amount of primetime games. That team can be seen on national television almost every weekend. Brock Purdy got a better deal at Iowa State than he would have ever come close to at, a, at Alabama unless something drastic would have happened. It, it is a win-win, and these coaches that are not at the Blue Bloods have got to do a better job of telling this story, of selling this story, of 
pitching these young men on saying, you can go to Alabama, Georgia, Texas, but guess what? You might not play right away. You might not play for a couple of years. Heck, you might not play ever. Then you'll have to transfer. You'll have to get yourself up. You'll have to go through the academic process, maybe sit out a year. You're going to have to throw your life in the flux. Why do that? Come here. Give us a shot. You can be part of something special here. And the facilities, you know what? The facilities at a place like Oklahoma State, maybe it's a step below Oklahoma and Texas. But is it noticeable? Is it that noticeable that it's going to be a lesser or worse college experience or less development for the NFL? It's not. And these coaches have got to do a better job selling this. And I hope they do. So, you know, when Mike Gundy says stuff like this, like um, like he said last week after signing day, saying we go after all the guys, but they don't want to come here, so we got to go with somebody else. Like, that's on you, man. You know, I mean, Mike Gundy should be recruiting top 25 classes. He hasn't been. He didn't this year, at least not yet. Uh, and, you know, he's not going to based on where he is. So uh, that's what I would do if I was these head coaches. Just my two cents. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks, as always, for joining us, being a part of the show. Well, coming up, let's get into some recruiting. Let's get a look at the early signing day period, what happened, what went on, who did well, who didn't. We'll touch it on all coming up next on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Well, the early signing period came and went, and the Big 12 is breaking itself up here a bit between the haves and the have-nots. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. We appreciate you joining us, whether it's on the radio, podcast, Facebook, YouTube, whatever it might be. So uh, this is pretty interesting. For the first time in a while, OU and Texas are both recruiting top 10 classes. I know that might surprise you, but it hasn't been the case since earlier in the Mac Brown, Bob Stoops tenure and rivalry, that these two programs were both recruiting at the same time this well. Uh, even at the end of the Bob Stoops tenure, Lincoln Riley has recruited better than Bob Stoops did towards the end. And we know Charlie Strong was not great at recruiting. I think he, or at Texas at least, I think he had one top tier 10 or 15 recruiting class, but that was it. He had a couple of uh, bummers as well. And Tom Herman, after starting off slow in his first year when he just got the job, he has had back-to-back -back great recruiting classes. So after that, though, there's a big drop, especially this year for the conference, and I'll get into that here in a couple of minutes. But for OU to have two five-star guys coming in, Theo Weiss, a wide receiver out of Allen, Texas, and then a quarterback, Spencer Rattler, out of Phoenix, Arizona. If you're, first off, a wide receiver, OU's the place to go. Um, but even more so a quarterback, right? OU's had four Heisman finalists, Baker Mayfield three times, and then um, Kyler Murray. And you've won the last two Heisman trophies. Does it get any better than that? Uh, it, it's amazing. And on top of that, you know, you look at what Oklahoma has done. They've actually recruited pretty darn well, too on the defensive side of the ball, considering they fired Mike Stoops. They've had issues on that side, but they have a lot of four-star guys coming in uh, due the Sooners on the defensive side of the ball. So kudos to them. And as for Texas, just to touch on the early signing period, what they have coming in, who they have coming in. 
uh, top couple of guys, an offensive tackle and Tyler Johnson out of Conroe, Texas, and uh, Jordan Whittington, a wide receiver out of Cuero, Texas. Uh, those are two of the top guys that Texas has coming in. DeGabriel Floyd, an inside linebacker as well, has committed the number four inside linebacker in the nation. So uh, those two teams' programs are in very good shape. You know that. But after OU and Texas, who are both in the top nine, you got to go down to 31 to find the next Big 12 team, and that's TCU with Gary Patterson's 23 commits. Now, last year, in the last couple of years, Patterson's had top 25 classes. I'm not going to get on him. I mean, what Gary Patterson has done out recruiting, I know he's right there in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, but what Gary Patterson has done out recruiting basically everybody in the Big 12, outside of OU in Texas, when he's, what, six, seven seasons into the Big 12, has been very, very impressive. Um, his top recruit, top guy coming in, a running back, DeMarqua Foster out of Wichita Falls. So that's always a position that's of need, especially there with the TCU offense. Good job by Patterson. But I'll be curious to see if he can get this thing into the top 25 come February because TCU has been to the point where I think they can be and they should be a top 25 class year after year. Um, and, you know, with the talent, the amount of talent that is in their backyard, that's why a lot of teams in the Big 12 didn't want TCU in the conference because they knew that they had the chance, especially with a head coach like Gary Patterson, to do some serious damage based on the amount of talent that was within like a 25-mile radius of the university. I know TCU doesn't have the best atmosphere, maybe, uh, when it comes to game day. The stadium's not the biggest or the grandest. But when you can drive 20 minutes to see your kid, get him a really good education, and play for, I would argue, one of the best, if not the best coach in the Big 12 and one of the best coaches in America, and you have a great chance of going to the NFL, you can give up the stadium size, you know? So the fact that the Big 12 does have this drop-off is concerning because it's a bigger drop-off than normal. And it's going to continue to differentiate the Big 12, which is looking like it's going to be the next five years of OU and Texas going back and forth. As much as I like when OU and Texas are both really good because that's good for the conference, I also want to see the Baylors, Iowa States, Oklahoma States, TCUs of the world uh, compete at the top. I think they can. I think they're worthy of it. And I want to see that happen. The fourth best recruiting class in the Big 12 is the Baylor Bears, and this cannot be understated. What Matt Rule has done on the recruiting trail with this team, with this program, less than three years removed from that disaster under Art Bryles is nothing short of a miracle. People are talking about the death penalty for Baylor. And Matt Rule has this program, and they've done it since he got there, recruiting top 35 to 40 classes. He's consistently out-recruited Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, even though Mike Gundy is coming off of three straight 10-win seasons. Put that into perspective. Matt Rule coming off and taking over uh, on a massive sexual assault scandal at Baylor for Art Bryles. Not a Texas guy. For the most part, an East Coast guy, Temple some time in the NFL, he has come to Waco, Texas, and he has out-recruited Mike Gundy. Uh, you can't say that enough times and give the guy enough credit. It's impressive what he has done there. Iowa State right now with the fifth-best recruiting class in the conference. I mean, Matt Campbell just is doing it time and time again. Um, 
He's got one four-star guy running back, Jarrell Brock out of Quincy, Illinois. So that's his. Uh, that's the number 14 running back in the country is going to Ames, and why not after what David Montgomery is doing there? And Matt Campbell continues to give. Uh, he's going to continue to give the Big 12 fits. You know, he signed the extension. I'm glad he did it. I hope he's here for a long time. And by the way, I wrote about that this um, on Christmas. Every Iowa State fan should be a fan of Ryan Day. Root for Ryan Day at Ohio State because, to me, that's the only job that, um, that at this point Matt Campbell would consider taking. Maybe Notre Dame, but I don't know. He's an Ohio kid. I got to imagine if, Iowa, if Ohio State opened up, he would at least take the phone call. So root for Ryan Day to do well. That way the job never opens up. And then you have Oklahoma State with the sixth best recruiting class, uh, 44th in the country. Grayson Boomer, a tight end out of Oklahoma, is their top recruit. Then it's Langston Anderson out of uh, Texas, a wide receiver. So, uh, you know, I got on Mike Gundy earlier. I still think this team should be better, but he does have them in the top 50. They should be, to me, in the top 25, 30 at worst. Uh, And after that, there's also a drop-off as you keep on going down from there to the uh, Texas Techs of the world. Who else are we missing? Uh, The Kansas schools as well. West Virginia just outside the top 50. I know there's not a lot of talent there in West Virginia, but Dana Holgerson, got to pick it up for February. You only got 16 commits there, guy. Got to do it. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Coming up, I'll give you my college football playoff prediction. Don't go anywhere. Well, for the second straight year, the Big 12 is represented in the college football playoff. And once again, it's the Oklahoma Sooners. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. So let's get into some of the bigger games here in the Big 12 bowl season. The two massive ones, of course, college football playoff, Orange Bowl, Oklahoma, and Alabama, and then you have Texas against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. First off, when it comes to the big picture here, I mentioned it throughout the show, a split in these games is a win for the Big 12. This is not just, you know, Alabama and some run-of-the-mill SEC team. These are considered to be two of the premier teams, not just in the conference playing in the SEC title game, but two teams that a lot of people thought should have both been in the college football playoff. Only Alabama, of course, made it. Meantime, Georgia missed out. If the Big 12 can get a split in these games, it's a massive victory for this conference. There's no other way around it. You can't deny it. You can't even pretend like that would not be a win, especially when both these teams are not just double-digit underdogs, but they're both about two touchdown underdogs. You have Alabama, which is now a 14-point favorite against OU, opening up at 13.5, and and you have Georgia, which opened up at about 10, 10 10.5, pushing itself up to a two-touchdown favorite over Texas. So when you have two teams that are two-touchdown dogs, you're playing with house money, and you have a great chance to go out there and shock the world, and that's what these two programs are going to try to do in these uh, these bowl games. Now, for OU, history is, uh, is beneficial to them. Alabama and Nick Saban has struggled against these type of offenses. You think about that Sugar Bowl game back in, what, 2012, I think it was. Uh, OU beat Alabama. Alabama will say, well, we didn't care about the game. That's nonsense. Uh, Trevor Knight smoked them. 
with that offense. Now, it wasn't Lincoln Riley's offense, but it was an up-tempo, spread-em-out, OU style of offense. And Nick Saban has also struggled in recent years against teams like Ole Miss when Hugh Freeze was there running his spread-em-out type of offense. So they've had their issues. I think OU's going to put up points. My fear in this game is how can the defense do anything? How are they going to stop Tua Tungavailoa? How are they going to stop Damian Harris and Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs in the backfield? You know, the one saving grace, I guess you would say, is that OU's defense has had a tough time, especially against bigger wide receivers, taller wide receivers, because they have short cornerbacks, tiny cornerbacks. Alabama's got a great set of wide receivers, but outside of uh, tight end Irv Smith, they don't have that like six foot four, six five, little Jordan Humphrey, Colin Johnson type of guy on the outside. Not to say their wide receivers aren't really good. Uh, they are. I mean, Waddle's great, Rugs. We know the guys that they have there that are really good players at the wide receiver position, but they aren't big. That might be a saving grace for OU in this game. I just have a hard time seeing this OU defense slow Alabama's offense down enough. Uh, to do enough damage on offense to keep it close. So as much as I think Kyler Murray can put points up on the board, this offensive line is going to have a good, um, you know, a good day. Alabama's defense is solid. It's not the best Alabama defense in recent memory under Nick Saban. It's 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 not that, but it's still uh, pretty darn good. So here's how I see this game playing out. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I think OU's going to get its 35 to 40 points. My problem here is how and if they can get enough stops. So I think Alabama hangs on in this game by a final of 45-41 to 41 over the Oklahoma Sooners to get themselves to the national championship game. OU will come up short again in the college football playoff semifinal. I hate to say it because there's nothing I'd love to see more than Nick Saban's team go down undefeated, Alabama lose to Oklahoma. That would be so great, so awesome for the Big 12. Finally get this conference in the championship game. But I'm just struggling to see how exactly that's going to happen. So give me a final Alabama 45, OU 41 in the college football playoff semifinal. The other game, Clemson takes care of business against Notre Dame. I am not a, a big believer in what the Irish did this year. I know they had some good wins, but I have a hard time respecting Notre Dame because they still want to play by their own rules. Uh, they still want to say, hey, we need to be playing the military schools. Hey, we want to do our own thing. We want to play our own rivals. Join a conference. Play in a conference championship game, would you please? I don't think it's going to be as embarrassing in, as in 2012 when uh, first you have Monty Teo's fake girlfriend and then you had them getting crushed by Alabama in the national championship game. I don't think it's going to be quite like that. But let's just say the storyline coming out of Saturday is not going to be uh, about OU versus Georgia. It's going to be, was Notre Dame really one of the best four teams in America? That's what I think the storyline is going to be coming out of these uh, two games on Saturday night. So we'll be following them for you, of course. And we'll also be doing a lot of great coverage on the website on heartlandcollegesports.com. Now for the other massive game in the Big 12. That's Texas, and that is Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. I think this is a game that Texas can win. And I think Texas will win this game. You know, when I look at Tom Herman, he is so good as an underdog. So good. 
And he knows the importance of this game, not just for his team this year, for this program, for building on this, for the Big 12, for recruiting. He knows what this game means. He knows what it's all about. I do think there's going to be a bit of a hangover effect for Georgia here. Um, I look at this Georgia team and I say, okay, they're really into this thing. I'm not convinced that they are. There's been rumors about guys like Justin Fields transferring already. I've heard a lot of rumors as well about a lot of other names potentially moving on that uh, maybe Kirby Smart has been over-promising on the recruiting trail. I think that plays a role in how much this team cares. Texas has much more at stake here, much more on the line, and this is a huge game for them. And one thing Georgia didn't do well this year is they did not do a good job of getting to the quarterback. You look at some of the numbers, they were near the bottom of the SEC in sacks and also in interceptions. They didn't do a good job picking the ball off. With the way this Texas offensive line has improved, I think they're going to be able to get the ball downfield into the hands of Colin Johnson, into the hands of little Jordan Humphrey, and that's going to be big for Sam Ellinger. That will then open up the running game for Ellinger or whoever you know is behind him in the backfield on any given play. So I think Texas can do it, and defensively, Todd Orlando is one of the great minds in college football right now, and he is going to be able to do enough, lock down the defense or lock down the running game, make Jake Fromm beat you. I know he almost did that against Alabama, but I think that's the winning recipe for Texas, and I think they can take this game by a final of 35-31. to 31. So there you have it. A couple of predictions for the two Big 12 uh, massive bowl games. If you want to take a look at my prediction for the rest of the Big 12 bowl games, they're up on our YouTube page. Just search us there at Heartland College Sports. That's where you can find all that because uh, we just have a lot of content going out. YouTube, Facebook, Periscope here on the podcast, the radio show, everywhere. So thanks so much for joining us, guys. Enjoy the bowl season. Have a great New Year's, and we'll talk to you next week. Same time, same place, right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. 2,000 country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation, that's right. All right, guys, thanks as always for listening to this week's show. We appreciate it. If you want the free Heartland College Sports Koozie, all you got to do is rate and review the podcast on iTunes and then send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll get that right to you, all right? Have a uh, great week. Enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you soon.